Dear friends, it's the midweeks again, and we are in the book of Samuel, and we are going to enter into a long season of not exciting stuff. David's going to be on the run, essentially, for the rest of the, the book of 1 Samuel, and, and 1 Samuel ends with the death of Saul, but things are not looking good for David, and as even as I'm reading this with you, it just strikes me how much of David's life was spent in conflict. You know, he's anointed king pretty quick right off the bat after he kills Goliath. Um, Saul is not happy with David, and David is living with the enemy. And so in the last chapter, David has become family with Saul through the marriage to Michal, through the slaying of the Philistines, and now when Saul sees that his plans to get David killed by the hands of the Philistine doesn't work, he's going to now try to get David killed by the hand of his own servants and by himself. And what we're going to see is David's own children rising, or sorry, Saul's own children rising up against Saul in order to protect David. Now, just as a summary, remember, I've been saying that this book is about four main themes. The formation of the kingdom. So this is the beginning of the kingdom of Israel and the problem of the people wanting a kingdom just like all the nations around them and getting a king like Saul, who is in spirit a pagan king. The lives of the early kings and their sons. And we're seeing here that because all of a sudden David is married to uh, Saul's daughter, this is about fathers and sons. And Jonathan is a good man. And he's Saul's son. And David is also a faithful man. And he's Saul's son-in-law. And there's conflict between the king and his sons. And one of the themes of the Old Testament is the difficulty in handing down faith from one generation to the next. Remember, Eli's sons were terrible. And they, they contributed to this great curse coming upon Israel. And even... Samuel's sons didn't carry on with that faith and they took bribes and now we have a bad king with two good sons and there's more sons than the two but here we have just this dislocation between fathers and sons in the book of Samuel. We're also looking at this as studies, character studies in faith and unbelief and how David regularly responds to situations with faith and Saul is growing in his unbelief and it gives us a mirror to mirror our own hearts to, do I respond with faith? Do I respond with unbelief? Am I more like Saul? Am I more like David? And we grow as we hold our hearts and our character up to these lives and these moments of faith and unbelief that we see in this book. And I also said, most importantly, this book is about God's reign in the world, putting his character on display as well as accomplishing his purposes. We see his faithfulness especially to David as David walks by faith. We see the hand of God with him to rescue him from every situation. And so we can grow in our confidence in God's faithfulness to us as we are children, adoptive children of the son of David, the true son of David. We also see God setting up a kingdom that ultimately his own son will be the king of. Later on in the book of 2 Samuel, God gives David the great promise that one of his sons will sit on the throne of Israel forever, which is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've been saying that the great theme of this entire book, if you're going to pick one, is the saying from Scripture quoted by both James and Peter. 
God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in this chapter, we will see Jonathan being so humble in love and seeking the best for David, his quote-unquote rival, potential rival, and the pride of Saul and how God opposes Saul because of his pride, but gives grace to Jonathan and David as they walk in humility together. So without any further ado, we're in chapter 19 of the book of 1 Samuel. These are the very words of God. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. So here's the intensification. He wanted the Philistines to kill David as he set this bride price of foreskins for his daughter. And now he's speaking to his servants to say, we need to kill this David guy. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, my, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. So Jonathan is acting as this spy, this go-between, and his loyalty, his chesed, his covenant love, is with David. Remember, they've made a covenant together. And Jonathan is expressing his covenant faithfulness to David by uh, letting him know Saul's secret plans to kill him. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. And you saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Okay, so press pause. So this is one of the, the things you'll notice in this section of the book, is that Saul vacillates over and over again. I want to kill David. I'm so sorry for trying to kill you. I want to kill David. I'm so sorry for trying to kill you. So this is probably in part showing the madness that's upon him, the evil spirit that takes him, that... Um, unleashes his hatred for David and then him coming back. So it used to be music that would bring him back to sanity. This time it's reasonable speech from his son, Jonathan. And Jonathan is showing covenant love both to his dad and to David. He's saving David's life and he's saving uh, Saul from sin. And so he is being a wonderful son and a man of faith. Notice how this isn't about politics for Jonathan. He's talking about not sinning against the Lord. The Lord worked his salvation. We should rejoice. Don't sin against the Lord by killing David. So his eyes are on the Lord as he uh, works this reconciliation. Verse 8. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. So probably what's happening here, that same situation where Saul is jealous because of David's success, and as David is sitting there playing that lyre, remember, trying to calm Saul and have the spirit go away. This time the spirit comes, Saul obviously welcomes it, participates with it in some sense and tries to attack David again. And so here's this rehash where we're seeing a cycle. And so as the cycle goes on, it's intensifying. Now David is not just somewhat fleeing, he's actually going to escape, escape, and leave. 
verse 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair on its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me thus, and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul. He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Okay, so you have this next scene where David has fled from the spear attack and come to his home. And Michal understands what's going on. You're going to die here if you don't flee. So she's encouraging him to escape, and she helps him out the window. So they're probably on the second story of a building. Those buildings didn't get too tall back then, third story at the most, but probably in the second story. They find a way for David to get down, and Michal comes with this like Ferris Bueller kind of thing. So she's she's thoughtful. She's a tricker. They take an an image which is like a little idol which is weird that she has a little idol so it's a little insight that Saul has an idol in his house or his daughter has an idol in her house so this isn't good this isn't like faithful worship to have an idol there an image there but she uses it in the bed to pretend to be a person so maybe there's even a little bit of mockery about idols here that the best thing an idol is used for is to pretend to be a person while a real person runs away put some goat hair on it makes it look like a person and when the messengers come, they say, go away, he's sick. And so they go back. And Saul is so insistent to get a hold of David. He says, even if you need to bring the whole bed up here so I can stab him to death, go get it. But when they go to grab David in his room, then they find out the ruse. And Saul comes and interrogates Michal, or she's brought to Saul. And I think she lies again. So if you look at verse 17 here, where she says, she claims that David threatened to kill her. That's why she let David go. Why should I kill you? But she's she's obviously lying. Earlier, she is the one wanting to rescue David. So David never said this, but she also needs to escape Saul's wrath. And so you have all three of Saul's children that we know of up to this point, Jonathan, Michal, and David. I guess there's another daughter that was married off, but all the three important ones are all working against Saul to save David's life, which is just a sign of such a broken house. And yeah, God is working together to save David. And I don't think David sees Michal again, or she's not really mentioned until later on. Uh, but she has a very rough life where she's married off to somebody else, even though David is still alive. And so, but then she responds really badly to the Lord and David once they're reunited. So she has a rough life. At this moment, this is a good thing for her where she's helping save David and rescue him from Saul. Verse 18, now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done. And he and Samuel went and lived in Naoth. So David goes there to escape, and Saul and David even flee to somewhere else, because Saul knows where Samuel lives. And was told Saul, behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, Samuel and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came on the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied. 
And then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku. And he asked, Where is Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth of Ramah, and he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, Is Saul also excuse me, among the prophets? So this is a really weird scene, interesting scene. David flees to Saul and, sorry, Samuel. And then you have this thing where Saul is sending these messengers to get David. And instead, the Holy Spirit is coming upon these guys and they're being knocked down and prophesying. So they're speaking God's words by the power of the Spirit. And it's the Spirit's way of protecting Samuel and Saul. Now, this is the Spirit fighting, not flesh and blood. And he's rescuing these people from being a part of Saul's evil. He's rescuing Saul from doing this, but the Spirit is being their protector here. Now, there's a few echoes here. You might remember that this reminds us of the beginning of Saul's life when he meets with Samuel and Samuel anoints him. And on his way home, he meets up with prophets and he starts prophesying. And then they say, is Saul also among the prophets? And that was the good time. Those were the times where he was being first filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit in order to do the work of God. And now God's Spirit is causing Saul to prophesy in order to stop him from doing evil. And so things have gotten so weird that the prophecy is there actually to protect Samuel and David, not necessarily for the good of Saul, but God is intervening. And God is intervening even very supernaturally in this way to protect David from Saul's evil and madness. But there's also a little bit of a reminder here. You might remember years later, biblically, when um, a king wants to speak to Elijah, I think it is, um, he sends messengers to go get him. And instead of the spirit coming down and causing the, the people to prophesy, the spirit comes down and burns them alive because they're being rude. And they're saying, you have to come down a prophet. And he says, if I'm a prophet, may fire come down and consume you. And it does. And so that would indicate that things were so much worse than now later on when instead of God sending the spirit on messengers doing bad business, he sends fire down on the messengers doing bad business. But this is just this really weird scene. We see God's faithfulness for David as he's on the on the run. Instead of just like trying to kill Saul, he runs away from him. He goes to Samuel the prophet for protection and God gives grace to them by rescuing them through making people prophesy to, to take off their clothes and lie in the ground and speaking God's word out loud through it. So that's the end of chapter 19. So we'll pause there for the day. Very strange uh, series of events, but even a contrast there with the evil spirit coming on Saul to cause him to attack David. And now the spirit of God is coming on Saul to call him, cause him to prophesy. But this doesn't rescue Saul's character. His character is still steeped in unbelief and bitterness and anger at David. And even though the spirit comes on him to kind of drive him into the ground to stop him from doing evil, it doesn't rescue him from the trajectory of his unbelief. And so it's a good caution for us to care about our character. Even though the Holy Spirit can use us and give us gifts, our character matters so much. And God can work gifts even through poor character, but for our own sake, we want to have godly character. We want to be men and women of faith, not men and women of unbelief who are used by God despite ourselves. 
Amen. God be with each one of you this week.